Yeah. So, all right, let's, let's, let's hang out here for a second. Let's give it a couple minutes to, to do its little ramp up. Okay. So I don't, know, I don't know why it does that. Okay. So we're not, we're not chit-chatting yet. officially. Oh, we're, we're chit-chatting and then we're not, we're not doing the podcast just Okay. Yet. So we're chit-chatting. So how you doing, Ethan? I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Elizabeth? It's good. It's good to be in the inner sanctum of the product association, Los Angeles podcasting headquarters. Oh, it's pretty awesome right here in sunny, sunny Manhattan beach, California. I, my God, the view that we have in here is amazing. <laughs> it's absolutely phenomenal. Great to be here. You can almost see Hawaii. It's pretty amazing. I can see Catalina. And then I think I see Hawaii peeking over the outside there. Yeah. <laughs> Who would know? Sunny product management, Los Angeles. That's awesome. All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's do one of these and then go silent and I'll, I'll jump into it. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Product in LA podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Cole, and this is an opportunity to shine the spotlight on some of the exceptional technology leaders we have as part of the LA community. With us today is Elizabeth Osder. Hey. Really hey. excited to have you here, Elizabeth. It's good to be here. <laughs> it's going to be a great one. I'm excited for this one. But first, a word from our sponsors. Product in LA is brought to you by Yeruit available at yeruit.com. Need help completing your roadmap items? Yeruit is a digital product development agency with over 15 years of experience helping companies build web and mobile apps by embedding directly into their Scrum teams. Yeruit's expert full stack software developers provide quality code to help you get the job done. If you need React or Angular front-end devs, or perhaps help with Node.js, .NET, Python development, DevOps, or Ethan product or design to help solidify requirements, they're ready to help you close out features and actually release updates to customers. Learn more at yeruit.com. That's U-R-U-I-T.com. We're also brought to you by the Product Managers Association Los Angeles, available at pma.la. They are the largest professional organization for product and designers in LA. With more than 3,000 members from over 500 companies, they host monthly meetups, organize the Product Leader Council, where CPOs and heads of product connect in small six to eight member pods, and have a mentorship program where they connect working product managers with students from underrepresented groups to build a better and more diverse next gen. To learn more about PMA, go to pma.la. To learn more about the mentorship program, go to pma.la slash mentorship. Our guest today is Elizabeth Osner. She is the principal at the Osder Group, and her previous roles include product roles at Yahoo and the New York Times. Uh, she was a visiting professor at USC, and she held leadership roles at Spin Media, OpenX, and Nextstar Digital. And one interesting fact you might find from her LinkedIn page is one of her early roles was as a photo editor for the Associated Press. <laughs> Elizabeth, love to hear more about what that was like. Uh, AP is one of those news agencies that provides photographs for all the newspapers and agencies throughout the world. That must have been pretty fun to work as a photo editor. Well, actually it was, and it was. It, it's a long time ago. So honestly, I've been in this racket a long, long time. And my time at the, the AP was actually uh, the first year that they actually had brought in technology and digitized the photo, photo transmission along from the Associated Press. So we're rolling back the clock uh, to the early 90s, and I'm All sitting right. at something called the Leaf Desk, and I am networked to the entire world seeing photos fly across my desk that used to have to be spun around on drums and developed in dark rooms. 
And in the uh, early nineties. So, I mean, it, we absolutely take that for granted now, but in the nineties being connected to photographs from around the world at that pace was, was very few people in the world were able to do at that moment. It was fundamentally a shift in communications. It was, um, hearkening of what would come with the internet because we didn't really have http yet and that kind of connectivity so right. this was a private network and so wow. one of the things that was going on with me sitting there was like a rocket ship i was sitting in there feeling the power of what it's like to be interconnected around the world and to move things at the speed of light and then to have to make decisions uh very very quickly and then also have them be decisions that are not that easy to change so there was a certain um wild west of bringing new technology to market as we know in product but back then you know no one had really seen technology like this so we were just sort of feeling our way in the dark there that's was... amazing so you were one of the first people to be dealing with what would later become internet images but it was a private a private internet work. Absolutely. It wasn't, it wasn't even Absolutely. a World Wide Web yet. No, there wasn't. Unfortunately, that really hadn't happened yet. So, um, and I was there in the summer uh, when I was getting a master's in photojournalism in Missouri, and I started there as a uh, as an intern, and I'd work any shift that I could, and uh, just for a chance to, to be there. And we were in 50 Rockefeller Center in New York City. Nice. It was the control center of images and journalism around the world, and the AP had a kind of prominence and power that media doesn't have today. So it was certainly an exciting place to 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 learn, uh, to you know. I, you know, you just think about the things that you saw and the decisions you made about where images would go and what people would get to see. And every decision I made, you know, it, it affected what somebody saw in Kansas or what somebody saw in Kentucky or what somebody saw in Hong Kong or Paris. That's incredible. So it's almost like, to put it into taste perspective, it's almost hard to conceive. It's as if you were the only person who had access to Google image search or you know they had you had this new images that come in that you would have access to that came in from around the world and you were then the place the repository where newspapers would look to absolutely to have images for their papers it's it's in kind of incomprehensible in the world today but i think what matters is what kind of grit and experience you get from having been in that situation and how that sort of begins to lay the foundation of where i would build the roadmap of my career and that's, so i think that's kind of what's cool about it I have a million stories that are fun from it. I, I tell you, uh, I just stop for a second and remember that, you know, one of the things when we get any new technology or in product management, we're building something that has to have an end user is, you know, you kind of have to write the manual. You have to actually document what it had got, what was going on. And, right. uh, there was no way of, of, no one had sort of documented how to do this. You sort of learned how to do it. And this is going to seem really strange, but right. there was one switch at the AP. And it was a switch that controlled the satellite imagery. So when the satellite would switch from one hemisphere to the other, and you had to remember to switch the satellite <laughs> perspective at 3 and like 9 p.m. every day. So you could catch the other side of the world with satellite images for weather. And um, no one told you to do that. So I wrote a manual that told interns to turn the switch because back in those days, um, Things were tight, tight then. The way you learned in a good journalism organization back then, nobody explained things to you. They right. yelled at you. <laughs> and so uh, it was a very um, loving but aggressive and uh, highly unforgiving environment. So you didn't want to make those mistakes. So I learned about switching the satellite images. So that was that was power to control the satellite. Oh, my gosh. We may have to double click into that because I'm, I'm not sure I fully I understand uh, when you have the satellites, you'll have to they, they go between the poles 
based on the hemispheres based on the time of day and the availability of the line of sight, I guess. Uh, and so if, if you didn't pull the switch, what would happen? Um, well, somebody wouldn't get their picture and then you'd get yelled at. Oh no. So, oh, but, so one of like, one of the people who are receiving the, the yeah, images. somebody would say like, my image isn't here. So like, where is it? And then it would, you know, it wouldn't like they'd call me, they'd call like the headquarters and then somebody would come down and say like, why did you fill the switch? And then I'd say like, well, no one told me to turn the switch and like, where's the manual? <laughs> There's no manual with this software. So anyway, I just thought that would kind of be a mind blowing and sort of weirdly historic thing when you talk to me you're kind of it's like you're watching an old movie and the screen is sort of crackling with the black and white and i'm taking you back over time for when it all began <laughs> that's a, that is incredible but i mean it's it's part of the the thing that's amazing about the la community and and, and this technology world we're, we're in you know no one studied this stuff uh, the things that were available to do they're able to do today were hardly conceivable back then. And when you could do those things back then, it came at a much manual, much more manual process with much fewer people in the world able to, to be able to do it. Um, did, that, did that experience you had working in this technology that really wasn't exposed to a lot of folks, did that help influence kind of the next steps in your career? Like I know you're at the New York Times. Is, was there was there a transition from well, I, you what you're know, doing there to the New York Times? Well, yeah, I mean, I I was there, and that was one experience. But actually, my experience was um, really fed by the early internet. So I ended up okay. um, being involved in putting the very first newspapers on the internet. So I was in getting a graduate wow. degree in photojournalism, and uh, we also, you know, er using early. Um, I don't know why I want to tell you all these things, but like we had these digital uh, cameras that held 12 pictures and you, and the reason why I went to school in Missouri was they had the multi-million dollar backpack where you could take 12 digital photos and you could learn how to use this technology. So you could take 12 digital photos and wear a backpack. And I thought that was cool. So I moved from New York to Missouri. But anyway, what I learned at that point was, is, you know, that was the time when American online and a lot of the online services were out there and right. the web was just getting started. And, um, I decided I was a pretty darn good, um, I was an okay photographer. I was an excellent editor, okay. but you got on kind of like the road less traveled. And I thought it's very competitive to get those jobs like at the AP and stuff. So there's this new thing happening over here called the internet and I'm just going to go for it. And so That's I great. just pivoted my, my training and decided to be af go after what was then known as online journalism and what was happening with bringing media online. And, um, I'd like to say I went from an unemployed photographer to a leading authority for what news would be online very quickly. And wow. I brought the uh, Newhouse newspaper chain online for a while, and uh, I got a job at the New York Times, and I was on the launch team there for their website, which was pretty exciting, uh, one of the first four employees. And uh, the rest is sort of history. It's a history of uh, seeing new technology coming, understanding what it could mean to our business and our mission, and then trying to understand how to to shape experiences for consumers uh, with that technology that was relevant and accessible and work and create teams and collaborations to deploy stuff. And then from one job to another, that's kind of what I was doing. That's pretty incredible. And maybe to put in perspective of where, where we are with technology today, um, you know, you, you were at the precipice of a, of a brand new technology that was going to change the game for everything, right? So the beginning of the internet, uh, where you started, there was really like a private internet where there was 
photos that were coming from around the world and being shared around the world, but in this very private network, proprietary network that you actually were part of the group who are then making it available to everyone via the in the online newspapers. And all of a sudden it sounds like it was the, the dawning of digital media, which I, I guess now I never put it together, but it probably started in a newspaper business where you have these images that you were projecting and putting on the people's screens and people would keep coming to a website and getting new content. This is before Facebook, before any sort of social media. So yeah, this was, this, this was, uh, this was back in the 20th century, the last <laughs> decade of the 20th century. And I, I think, um, you know, people don't have to stop and look at history. I look at history and the history or the herstory or the their history uh, <laughs> that I've been a part of as really just a chance for people to fort them, fortify themselves, to understand what they may have to sort through to navigate the next few years. And so if talking about what I learned in those experiences, I think what's valuable to the product managers and technologists of today is, is that you will continually be confronted by things that baffle you mm -hmm. and you have to figure out a way to rationalize them in um, both the business, the technology and the consumer world and sort of build that Venn diagram. And, and that's what's consistent. Um, over the years, processes have changed, you know, from right. literally uh, a waterfall approach that was uh, minted in mainframes down to the agile um, kind of a development processes that we have today and prototyping yeah. and, and, and different tools. I think there's a lot of velocity today, but you still need to know what you're doing and why you're doing it to have any of that velocity add up to anything. Yeah. Do you have any... And it's impossible not in the, in the zeitgeist of where we're at right now in technology. I mean, it's everywhere and it feels like it's every conversation, but it, it, I think it's just kind of where we're feeling right now with the generative AI, the chat GPT. It feels like we're on the precipice of a of another generational change with new technology. I'd love to hear if you have any advice for folks out there, you know, as, as it's just starting up, uh, have as someone who you know, took the bull from by the horns and approached new technologies throughout your career. Do you have any advice for folks out there who maybe they're starting their career or maybe they've been in technology, but kind of see this, see this, you know, generative AI as, as maybe another industrial revolution that could potentially change how we do software and certainly other aspects of our lives. Do you have any advice for folks who, well, and how to navigate these waters? You know, I, I'd say, you know, advice is easy to give and, and you never nearly know what it, where it turns out. Right. Um, I think I have some, some thoughts that, um, that I reflect on my own career with these things, which is uh, the concept of the unintended consequences of well-intended actions. <laughs> okay. Love and it. I think that that's what we really need to have in mind when we're thinking about the implementation of these technologies. So okay. in, in my world, information was in a box and you had to buy that box and open it up to get information. Right. In the world today, information is everywhere. And we're just trying to work on processes and to sort it out. And um, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of people looking at this. People who love technology and product are looking at it and trying to make a lot of stuff. 
uh, people that are in workflow or trying to find efficiencies with it to improve things. Right. Other people are pontificating about it being the end of humanity. College professors are trying to figure out how to get people to write with pencils now so they can actually figure out whether it's somebody's own intellectual creativity. Um, but I think what you have to go down to is, you, you know, what fundamentally comes down to is, is, um, you know, on a sort of moral ethical level, what is, um, what is right, what is wrong and how do you construct those decisions? Um, so you can use any of these things for terrible malfeasance. Yeah. And, um, I think you can be enthusiastic about it and see all these things that you can make, but, uh, you have to be you know, you have to be in some reality about whether you're truly innovative, innovating something, or you're just improving a process or doing the same thing that every kid who can get a hold of the API for the chat, you know, for chat GPT is playing with today. And so you have a million people running in the same directions. The real challenge is what's Hmm. the strategy and what's the purpose of it? And what are you going to apply it to? And hopefully you're applying it to something that has value, which is to create more value in the world than was before and, and in such a way that you're not going to lose value. And I don't mean to be all sort of theoretical about it, right? but really um, there are some awesome opportunities that come with this and there are some, you know, terrible consequences. And fundamentally, you know, we are going to look different as a society when it's done. Absolutely. So. So when you, when you were going through at the, the beginning of the internet, were, were any of those, I guess it's, did you follow, it's, it's a hard question because it's easy to give advice. It's hard, it's hard to do something with it. Is it, did, is that something that you thought of as, as the internet was being created and you were actively considering it? How, how do I no, help do this the, for good? Or? <laughs> the, the reason, the reason why I always use that as example, and I'm sorry to be a downer and put something so sort of uh, eggheadedly out there, but, um, I didn't think about it. I thought I was helping information be free. I thought I, listen, I've been working on algorithms and, you know, forms of AI from, you know, matching systems to, you know, various algorithms. I mean, all of this thing is a continuation of an evolution of technology. And there's just such a corpus of data and knowledge out there that, you know, we can manage together intelligent conversation on the fly. So um, it's just the unintended consequences of well-intended action. I thought that I was Clark Kent working in newspapers to make the world an informed society. And sometimes I look back and I'm like the Joker or a villain. And I, <laughs> I, I uh, unleash this like world of, you know, rapid fire misinformation, yeah. you know, where bad information is, is moving faster than good information and, and propaganda is using it for, for um, alternative purposes. And so, um, like I said, is I have some really deep thoughts about what I thought was going to be for good that I think has turned for bad and what I wish I had built into my systems that I built to be more corrective. That velocity and um, grabbing eyeballs and all the things that we did to build media businesses might somehow go to um, creating an uninformed society with various social divides that we see much more today. Oh, so. interesting. So, so to piece it together, some of the advice that you would give to folks now that we are in this wild west and yes, you can really spin out new products very quickly. Your advice to this generation is to, to be more conscious and conscientious about what you are doing so that as we're building out the next generation, maybe you can start it with a foundation of, um, more attention to the consequences rather than just kind of 
trying to run for eyeballs and try, yeah, try to collect Yeah, I think, you know, we, we've become, you know, in software development a lot, we're, it's a world of makers. We yeah. all want to make things. And you have to ask yourself, make it to what end, I think, sometimes. And is it a unique value proposition? Is it going to have a positive or a negative impact? And you can apply the same technology to potentially sniff out trouble as, as to create, uh, you know, create trouble. Yeah. Um, but that's all in the complex world of the market and what it's going to do with this um, in product development. What you're going to see right now, without a doubt, is that more things that were considered sacrosanct, like the construction of a narrative, mm -hmm. is now going to a machine. But if you've been in my business, you know, 10 years ago, we were using early machine learning insights to, to, to write um, and to put it in the workflow of publishing systems to write basic stories like financial stories or sports stories that That's are right. very very structured to automate the creation of those. So the positive side is maybe you're going to free up um, the intelligent mind to um, from doing certain rote tasks and allow it to dive deeper into more intelligent tasks. That's my idealism side. And then the negative side is is no one's going to know nothing no more. <laughs> <laughs> when the electricity goes out, we're just done. You're just yeah, sitting in a dark room because you don't know what else bad, to do. Bad, 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 bad. <laughs> but I, I find the curiosity that just my layman friends have about this, you know, everybody's sort of freaking out about it. The media is creating a bit of a sensation around this right now, too. Right. It will find its place in, um, in existing businesses to bring efficiencies. And it will... Um, you know, but it is a, as you said, in a beautiful summary of my uh, cacophony of crap here for you is, uh, <laughs> is, is, is it is a, I think a shift that's similar to the internet, which is we used to do everything to get people's writing out there. Now right. out there is doing the writing. Huh. That is, that is an amazing place to, to, <laughs> to, to wrap up on, or at least move to our last question. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. That's, that's a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal take. And, and really insightful advice. Um, you know, we're product in LA here and uh, we'd love to ground it in Los Angeles and love to hear, you know, what's the, what's the most LA thing that's happened to you tech related or not? Well, I think um, tech related or not, I, I'll say, you know, the most LA thing for me is probably John Void almost running over my foot. But, All right. Uh, that's pretty good. But uh, you know what, if I've got a second just to say, you know, LA, I'm a New Yorker who came here 20 years ago. Okay. And I came kicking and screaming because <laughs> LA was not my kind of place. And it's been nothing but generous to me. And there were nothing going on here with technology back then. Oh, when yeah. I had a startup uh, from 2008 to 2012 in the big data space, there was no money here. There was nothing. Yeah. Or so, developers even, right? Or developers. So now there's a whole lot of something here and it's an exciting place to be. And you just never know the experience that, that's lurking here. And um, I think it's just a quieter tech scene than Silicon Valley. And there are some real phenomenal innovators that are around here. And I'll leave the last one that's just interesting, which is, you know, a first consulting job I had when I moved here was with something called Applied Semantics, okay. which developed AdSense for Google. And All right. those entrepreneurs were in LA. They built that. They, they built that. They sold it to, to Google. And they created the economic engine of the internet for <laughs> the last decade. And those guys are still here doing new startups, staying very much in the fold. And no one really knows that story. But LA has brought real businesses to market that are tested. And a lot of other markets are a little bit uh, in the dream space. 
That's amazing. That's funny. I, I honestly didn't even put that one together. You know, Google is, is known for Mountain View, California, for Northern California. Very little known that the backbone to, to making, sorry, Google, I meant, I said, I maybe said Yahoo meant Google. Uh, the backbone to Google's monetary engine came from Los Angeles. And uh, I think absolutely. that's a story that's never told. That's an interesting one. Yeah, we we I, might have to track those folks down for, for a subsequent I episode. Can, I can help you with that. So All right. uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Really appreciate having you on. This is terrific. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors one more time. It's PMALA at PMA.LA and Yeruit, available at com. I'd like to thank you all for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time on Product in LA. Thank you.